We are in a very important sermon series right now that we're calling Church Matters. So why does church matter? Well, among other things, you and I cannot fulfill the purposes for which God has planted us on planet Earth apart from our involvement in and commitment to a local church family, such as City Church. It just can't be done. You and I will not experience satisfaction, joy, happiness, and life until our hearts are aligned with the purposes of God. And our hearts cannot live out those purposes of God apart from our being connected to a church community. So what are the purposes of God for which church matters? So let me share them with you coming up on the screen right now. First of all, we need the church to focus on God in worship as a way of life, not just what we do here on Sunday morning, but as a lifestyle. We also need the church to face life's problems through fellowship. God never intended that you would face the difficulties and challenges of life by yourself. You need other believers. We also need the church to fortify our faith. That's called discipleship, to grow in likeness to Christ. And then we need the church to find our ministry for service in both the world and in the church. And finally, we need it to fulfill our mission of outreach in the world. And that's what we're gonna be talking about this morning, our need to engage in our mission of outreach. There are really a couple of reasons as to why we're focusing on this matter today. Primarily, first of all, because God cares for people. We've already heard that in the interview, but just to underscore that, God cares for broken, lost people and he wants us to care for them as well. So that's primary to everything. But there's a second reason why we're addressing this theme of outreach today. And uh, that has to do with the fact this is an area where frankly we need to get better as a church. Let me draw your attention to this chart. It's from the Vital Church Report. We hope that you'll be getting it this coming week. And uh, if we're able to work out some uh, technical matters with respect to that, you'll be having it. But at any rate, uh, look at the top bar. I hope you can read that. It indicates 92% of responders to this survey indicated believers in Jesus should be sharing their faith. That's great, that's very high, it's wonderful. But if you drop down, you'll see that there's a drop off in these percentages. Anything below 70% is cause for concern. So look down at the very bottom, and it indicates the rate of evangelism is 3%. Now that's explained elsewhere in the report that one individual, there were like more than 70% of us who took the survey, and of those who did, one person said that they came to faith in Jesus through the ministries of this church over the last five years. One person in five years, which is why the rate of evangelism is as low as it is. It's an area that needs attention. So, can you imagine what things would be like in and through the ministry of our church if we were to begin as a congregation to earnestly pray and plan and even equip believers to make outreach a greater priority. What might God begin to do? I don't know about you, I find that question inspiring. 
It's motivating for me, and I hope it is for you as well. So if that's to happen, if outreach is going to be this passionate thing that's on the heart of God, coming into our own hearts, we need to look at the three questions that are on your sermon outline. So kids, you've got an outline. Adults have an outline. Let me encourage you to use it during the teaching as we look at these three questions. Number one, what is my outreach mission? Well, to understand our outreach mission, we need to understand Jesus' outreach mission, which is spelled out for us in a series of statements recorded throughout the Gospels. Let me draw your attention to these statements. So the first is in Luke 19, for the Son of Man came. Okay, why Jesus? Why did you come? To seek and to save what was lost. John 18, this is why I was born and came into the world, why? Tell people the truth. John 10, my purpose is to give life in all its fullness. John 12, I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the darkness. Luke 4, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, why? because that is why I was sent. So Jesus makes it abundantly clear what his outreach mission was in the world in these statements. The seek and disable was lost, tell people the truth, give life, shine in this dark world, preach the good news. Now maybe you feel like saying, hooray for Jesus. But what does any of that have to do with me? Well, um, the reality is that our outreach mission is to be patterned after Jesus' outreach mission. In John 17, we have the record of Jesus' prayer just hours before he went to the cross. And among other things, he prayed the following. Father, in the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. So according to this verse, Jesus expects us to continue his mission in the world. And friends, this is not an option. This is not a good suggestion for those who might happen to have some extra time on their hands to engage in such an activity. No, this is commanded to us by our Savior, uh, Jesus Christ himself. So how important is it to Jesus that we fulfill this mission? Well, let me answer that question by means of an illustration, and then we'll look at some verses of scripture. Valerie and I have three uh, now, of course, adult kids and even some grandkids, but when our children were very small, we found that um, if we really wanted them to uh, remember our instructions, we needed to repeat them many, many times. If you're a parent, can you identify with that? Sure. So we would have to say to them, don't pull the dog's ears, you know, don't play out in the busy street and, and such uh, commands being given on a repeated no, uh, uh, time. Well, the fact of the matter is Jesus, when he was here on earth, gave us our mission not once, but five times, as if to say, I really want you to get this, okay? Get it, got it, all right? It's in each of the four Gospels, and it appears in the New Testament book of Acts, so five times, often referred to as the Great Commission, because Jesus wants us, wants it to become part of our mission in life. So let me draw your attention to these verses. Matthew 28, 
19 and 20. Therefore, Jesus speaking, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this, I am with you, with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone, everywhere. Luke 24, with my authority, take this message of repentance to all the nations. Beginning in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all who turn to me. John 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he says it not once, but five times. Do you feel the weight? Do you feel the force of these different statements that Jesus is drawing our attention? He tells us what we are to do, preach the good news, he tells us where we're to do it, all the nations, why we're to do it, so that people can experience forgiveness of sins, and even how we're to do it as his empowered witnesses, right? Now, sometimes this is called evangelism. I don't know how you react when you hear the word evangelism. Maybe it just scares you to death. Maybe you think of some obnoxious in your face, Bible quoting Christian that nobody likes. Maybe that's your image of what evangelism is all about. Well, the word evangelism comes from a Greek word that simply means good news, good news. And so here's the deal. The same mission that Jesus had, telling people the good news of how they can find God is the mission that he's given to me and given to you. So that's our mission. All right, why should my mission of outreach be important to me? Five reasons I wanna share with you. First of all, because sharing the good news is my responsibility. So God's word to the prophet Ezekiel speaks powerfully, I think, of this sense of responsibility. Notice uh, this verse. God says, you must warn them that they may live. If you don't speak out to warn the wicked to stop their evil ways, they will die in their sin, but I will hold you responsible for their death. So he's saying, I need to accept responsibility for the fact that I have been commissioned by God to proclaim a message to other people. Now, it's not that I'm personally responsible for all, what is it, 7.8 billion people, whatever the population is around the world right now, no. It's not as though I'm supposed to go up to a total stranger, shake the person and say, you're gonna die in your sin and go to hell unless you repent. No, that's not what this is about. But as God brings people into our spheres of influence, at school, at work, in the neighborhood, through our natural context, through the rhythms you know, of life, I'm to realize I'm responsible to pray for them and to seek and love, to share Christ with them, hear this, in a way that is consistent with my personality. So if you're an introvert, for example, God isn't expecting you to be, you know, extrovert Ed or dynamic Danielle. No, he wants you to be you. So in ways that are com 
keeping with your temperament, God wants you to build relationships with people, to love them, to care for them, and as he opens up doors, to share the gospel with them. So if I don't, if I fail to execute my mission, do I lose my salvation? Well, no, we don't, but in some way that I don't think the Bible really explains, we're gonna be held accountable in some way before God. So that's the first reason. God holds us responsible for the unbelievers that are part of our lives. All right, but more than that, secondly, sharing the good news is also a wonderful privilege. 2 Corinthians 5.18, God has given us the privilege of urging everyone to come into his favor and be reconciled to him. This is the wonderful message that he's given us to tell others. We are Christ's ambassadors. I grew up oh, approximately uh, 30 miles north, no, west, west of New York City in northeast New Jersey, which probably explains a lot about me and my character, but anyway. <laughs> Um, and uh, during elementary school years, we would oftentimes, as a class, go into the big city for some activity. And I remember once going to the UN. I thought, man, is this ever cool, looking at hundreds of different ambassadors from all of these different countries, many of whom were dressed in the, the clothes, the clothing that, that, that represented their country and culture. You and I, are ambassadors of something far more significant. We get to be the representatives of the king of all the kings, the president of all the presidents. You and I get to speak on behalf of Jesus Christ as his ambassadors. What a privilege. I find this highly motivating because when I stand before God to give an account of my life, I want him to be able to say, you know, Rich, I commissioned you to be my ambassador and you stepped up to the plate. You were faithful. Thank you, Ambassador Rich, for a job well done. So I try to pray on a regular basis, Lord, uh, Ambassador Rich reporting for duty, you know, and um, Lord, uh, I just wanna be faithful and available, so if you've got something in mind for me today, here I am. The Apostle Paul could put it like this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of this good news about Christ. I hope you're not ashamed of it either. By the way, when he says here, I'm not ashamed, he's using a figure of speech, a literary style called elitities, where you put something in the negative to stress a positive. So in saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, what he's really saying is, I'm quite proud of the gospel. Why? It is the power of God at work among everyone who believes. And so I hope that you're proud of the good news as well because there's no other way for people to find God. Okay, why else should our mission matter? Well, see on your outline, because Christ has done so much for me, so it's a response of gratitude. Michael Green, in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, puts it like this. There can be little doubt that the main motive for evangelism, he's talking about in the early church, was a theological one. These men and women didn't sp spread their message because it was advisable for them to do so. I mean, they were persecuted, nor because it was a socially responsible thing to do. They didn't do it primarily for humanitarian reasons. They did it 
because of the overwhelming experience of the love of God which they had received through Jesus Christ. Too often, I think, we forget how good the good news really is. Paul can describe things like this in Ephesians 2.12. Remember, in the past, you were without Christ. You had no hope, and you didn't know God. I mean, if you reflect back to those years for you, it was a miserable, hopeless, boring, purposeless existence. You didn't know God. Well, the provision of what Jesus has done for us is so incredible, so amazing, so wonderful, you feel like saying to people, how could you not want to be in a relationship with such an incredible God as ours? One of the best ways, I think, to keep the urgency and the importance of outreach, your mission mind before us, is to manage our lives in such a way that we are mindful every single day regarding the magnitude of God's transforming grace. See, most of us, I think, suffer from spiritual apathy. We just don't care. And we don't stay alert to how great and gracious God is. One thing that has helped me, uh, something that was passed on by a pastor friend a number of years ago, was he said, Rich, write out what God has done for you in grace, how he's transformed your life. Keep it in a prominent place. Maybe it's in your Bible. For me, it's in the back of a, of a, of a, a prayer book that I keep. And I try to refer to it often, how I, I wrote down how God has chosen me, this broken, miserable, rebellious kid, he, he, he saved me. How Jesus took the punishment of himself, uh, myself on, him, on himself. I, I wrote down how the Holy Spirit has transformed me, he's regenerated me, I've been born again, and I, I've been adopted into the family of God. I am God's deeply loved child. And I remind myself frequency of the, frequently of the fact that the Holy Spirit assures me of my standing in Christ. I have a purpose now in life. I understand why I'm here on the planet and I have hope beyond the grave. So I wrote down these and other kinds of things to which I seek to refer often as a way of reminding myself how awesome God is to me. And I encourage you to do the same kind of thing. So out of gratitude, it just makes you wanna to say to people, wouldn't you like to come into a relationship with such an incredible God? So remind yourself often of what he's done for you in Christ. All right, why else should our outreach mission matter? Well, D, because people without Christ are lost. Sometime read through the New Testament book of Acts, and you will discover there that because early Christians were convinced that people outside of Jesus were lost and only Jesus could save them, they had to proclaim the message. And so we have an example of this in um, Acts chapter 4. Peter is speaking to a group of people, and he says this. Jesus is the only one who can save people. His name is the only power in the world that has been given to save people. We must be saved through him. Oh, wow. This is something, a conviction that I think suffers from tired blood today. We're often embarrassed to talk about or even think about people being saved and lost. And it raises the question for me, you know, why is that? What has dulled the knife edge of our concern? I think there are a number of factors just to point out, too, that I thought of. One is 
that we live in an age, a postmodern world marked by toleration, allegedly, where the idea is, you know, to say that salvation is only in Christ. I mean, that's to appear narrow-minded, opinionated, bigoted, just out of touch with the times. So I think that's a factor. But I also think another factor is the awareness that believing in Jesus hasn't exactly solved all of our problems either. And we're very much aware of the fact that we still fail. So we may be tempted to think, oh, who am I to tell you what you should believe? All of this, I'm sure, is cause of concern. But let's say you and I are good friends, okay? We're buds, we hang out together, we've been doing it for a period of time, but you're not yet a Christ follower and I am, all right? How can I claim to have any degree of concern for you as my friend without being gripped by the fact that outside of Jesus, you are lost? And so to open up and to be praying for you and to ask God to create an opportunity for me to share what Christ could mean to you as my friend. So all of this, you know, these other things contribute to the difficulty. Yeah, sure. We live in an age, postmodern world, marked by toleration. And yeah, Jesus hasn't solved all my problems either. But that doesn't change the fact as my friend, you still need Jesus. So... If you believe that outside of Jesus there is no hope, it's impossible to possess an atom of concern for your friends without being gripped by the necessity, the desire to bring others to this one way of salvation. Okay, why else? Well, E on your outline, because I'll be glad when I see people in heaven. So here we're talking about the matter of joy. In Luke 15, Jesus tells in rapid-fire succession three stories about a lost uh, sheep, lost coin, lost son, the story of the prodigal son. Twice in that passage, and this is alluded to one other time, he makes this statement. I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But you know what? The angels aren't the only ones who are rejoicing just once have the opportunity of building a relationship with someone and over time you share a little here, share a little there, they're beginning to raise questions of a spiritual nature. Just once have the privilege of leading such an individual to saving faith in Jesus Christ and let me tell you, you will experience an adrenaline rush that's off the chart. And it'll just be motivating for you to wanna to share Christ with other people. I mean, can you imagine going to heaven and seeing your dad, your mom, your very best friend, one of your kids, seeing a total stranger that God, you know, open up the door to share something with that stranger and they come up to you and say, you know what, I'm here because of you. What? Yeah. Back in, you know, 2022, whatever, you shared Jesus with me. That's why I'm here in heaven. Listen, the eternal salvation of just one individual is more important than anything else you could ever achieve in this life because only people get to go to heaven, that's it. So with these five reasons in mind, is it not obvious what our response should be to our outreach mission? We should do everything we can in order to fulfill it. So there are people on the planet 
that only you will be able to reach. I don't know them, you don't know the people in my spheres, and I don't know necessarily yours, and these are the reasons then why we need to reach them. Okay, how do we go about doing that? How do we begin to fulfill our outreach mission? Well, I wanna share with you three key words, the first of which is prayer, prayer. Paul could write the following, 2 Thessalonians 3.1. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, I ask you to pray for us Pray, for what, Paul? That the Lord's message will spread rapidly and be honored wherever it goes, just as when it came to you. Prayer is the most important tool in your outreach toolbox. I mean, people are, they can reject our message, but they're certainly powerless against our prayers. All right, so for what should we pray? Let me encourage you to make a list of the people in your sphere of involvement that as far as you know are far from God. I mean, only the Lord ultimately knows, right? But as far as you know, they've never committed their lives to Jesus. So you're writing down their names and let me encourage you to begin to pray for one, two of them each day um, that God would do the following. Here's the list. Number one, pray for the salvation of family and friends by name couple each day, pray for opportunities to tell them about Christ, and then ask God to give them the faith to believe and the will to respond. So first, God wants us to be praying daily for matters related to the fulfillment of our outreach mission. By the way, the staff is starting to do this, and we're encouraging each other. In this regard, we spent some time a few weeks ago sharing the first names of people that are part of our sphere of, of involvement that need Jesus. I encourage you to be thinking about that as well. All right, secondly, prayer is the first word. Second word is care. Prayer, care. First Peter 2.12. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then on the day of judgment, they will honor God by telling the good news they saw you do. So what does this mean? Well, it means among other things, you're nice. You're nice to people outside of Jesus. You are respectful, you are kind, you are gracious, you're civil. So outreach evangelism is simply you building a relationship of love to somebody else to allow Jesus to cross the bridge into their hearts and lives. So how on a practical basis do we do this? Well, let me just give you some, what, six suggestions here. That's all they are. You can build on this. Number one, for those neighbors you don't know yet, introduce yourself. Look for needs you can meet in a practical way. Maybe your neighbor needs uh, the walk shoveled, whatever. Walk around your neighborhood and pray for each home as you're walking your dog, pray for people. Only post things on social media that are encouraging. Please, please stay away from the political stuff. You have your convictions. The people that are on Facebook with you, they have their convictions, but that's not part of our message. So let that be and focus on things of a positive, encouraging nature. Give an appropriate Christian book, make sure you read it first, and then invite a friend perhaps to a Sunday service. So in light of this, what are you willing to do so that the people you know will go to heaven? Will you pray for them by name until they come to saving faith? And will you seek to demonstrate that you care? Prayer, care, third word, share. 
So our responsibility of fulfilling our mission doesn't end with prayer and care. It includes share. Notice this verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, sharing verbally our faith is often referred to as giving your testimony. What does it include? These four pieces of information. Number one, what your life was like before you met Jesus. Okay, talk about that, think about it. By the way, I would encourage you to write out your testimony, your journey of faith by perhaps using an outline similar to this. If you've never done it before, it'll aid you in your witness. How you realized you needed Jesus, how you committed your life to Jesus, and the difference that he's made in your life. Now, you have other testimonies I think of the story of the blind man healed by Jesus described in John chapter nine. The religious leaders got all worked up and tried to trap this guy theologically. And he responded by saying at one point, all I know is once I was blind, now I can see. Well, many of us have once I was blind, now I can see testimonies dealing with um, schooling, dealing with stress in life story about how God met your need during a very difficult time in your family perhaps, uh, related to work, finances, all kinds of testimonies that God can use in your heart and in your life. Well, let me summarize the teaching today like this. As long as you know one person who doesn't yet know Jesus, would you be willing to commit to praying on a regular basis for those individuals? Would you be willing to commit to caring for them and as God opens up the door to sharing the good news? May each one of us be able to say, Lord, by your grace, I'm willing to commit to being the messenger, the ambassador of your good news to others to fulfill my mission, regardless of where it leads or what it costs. Let's pray together. Father, forgive us for our wrong and oftentimes self-centered attitudes, our lack of love for people. Help us to, to so love you and others so courageously that with wisdom and sensitivity and joy, we may begin to find all kinds of ways to recommend you to those who desperately need you. Father, would you remind us how important it is that people find Jesus. And may we be more committed than ever to spreading the message in our personal areas of influence and even beyond throughout this world as you lead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.